And so my advice to anybody who's on the entrepreneurial precipice is plan for the infrastructure part of the business, all those decisions, including people, maybe mostly people, plan for that to be a big part of what you do and plan to love that. Because if you don't love it, you're going to burn yourself out because it takes up a lot of your time. Welcome to The Marketing Report, a podcast created for and by marketing professionals who seek to better understand their consumers and design unique, personalized experiences that stand out in today's market. In each episode, hosts from Verisk Marketing Solutions connect you to industry thought leaders, practitioners, and experts focused on improving B2C experiences through powerful data-driven insights. It's about how we connect with our consumers and where we can partner together to do it better. This is The Marketing Report. Hello, welcome to the Marketing Report podcast. I'm Tim Finnegan, and I'm in charge of product marketing for Verisk Marketing Solutions. And we are lucky enough to have a data-driven expert on, which is our is our mantra at Verisk Marketing Solutions Marketing Report podcast. That's quite a mouthful. Is bring subject matter experts, thought leaders on the podcast to share their stories and hopefully give some advice on, hey, this is what I've done, this is what you can do, and we'll have some tips and tricks and the whole thing. Today, we've got Tom Gruler on the podcast, and how Tom got on the podcast is one of our my buddies from University of Dayton Flyers messaged me on LinkedIn and said, hey, I listen to your podcast. I love the one with Kelly Leonard from Second City. Hey, you should have Tom Gruler on the podcast. Do you know he is founded his own company? I'm like, Grueler? Are, are like, we talking about the, the same person? And, and I just, so Tom Grueler. And so I went out on LinkedIn. I'm like, Tom went, first of all, he went to Harvard Business School after Dayton. He went to McCann Erickson, became president of a, one of the top agencies, you know, marketing media agencies in the country. Then he, so more of the agency style, which, which we'll talk a little bit about, and then went over to Microsoft and became global CMO of a couple of different divisions there, which I would love. We're going to get into some of that B2B discussion. And then did such a good job at those places was in the advertising hall of achievement. It's probably almost like Justice League. I'm sure it's that cool. <laughs> and then he's at, he started his own company at Fury, which is a sort of a helps clients tap into big data in a more powerful way. Welcome to the podcast, Tom Gruler. Wow. Well, thank you. And thank you for that warm introduction, Tim. And I will say, yeah, we were different people in college when we were at the University of Dayton, <laughs> and I'm not as evolved as you described me to be, but uh, but I'll I'll take it, and I'm super happy to be here, honored to be here, uh, and look forward to any chance that we can get together and talk about how data-driven marketing is evolving, because it's a great and amazing space, so happy to be yeah. here. Great. And this, you know, for the listeners, this is going to be a very well-oiled podcast because Tom and I think this is our seventh time trying this because I have had user error and had to reschedule with Tom like twice, two or three times. But anyway, so that, that'll be, I hope you guys will enjoy this podcast. But hey, Tom, just for the listeners out there who may not have heard of Fury, can you give us a little background of not only Fury, but sort of why and how you started doing your own thing? Yeah, sure. Well, we started Fury, or I started Fury in 2017. We launched in 2017 after I left Microsoft in 2016. 
And the purpose of Fury really is to help other companies cross the divide uh, that I crossed as a chief marketing officer when I was at Microsoft. The theory being that if I was struggling in one of the most data-rich, resource-rich companies in the world to have access to the right data, the data organized and tracked in the right ways, uh, to understand the demand generation problem with richness and insight, and ultimately to drive conversions to revenue. If we were struggling with that, then every company in the world was going to struggle with that. So when I left Microsoft, you know, I sort of looked away from the chance to go work at other big organizations and turn towards the opportunity to create a company that was aimed at that problem and, and helping other companies do that. We're, I, I would say, pandemic-adjusted, kind of a three-year-old company uh, and have been learning quite a lot about how marketers and sales organizations are struggling with this challenge. And look, you know, the, it's a hard problem. It's a data governance problem. It's a data availability problem. It's a data richness problem and accuracy problem. And then there is a extreme complexity to the ways that companies want to use insights generated from this data to drive better decision-making. And that's where we kind of sort of settled in as a company. And that's what we do at Fury. We are developing products that kind of help organize the data models. But a lot of times what we're doing is just working inside clients' environments, helping understand the problem, design solutions, and then and then put them on a path to getting better. So that's what we do. Great. Thanks, Tom. So when you were at CMO at Microsoft, yeah. and I'm sure you had people reaching out to you, try to get appointments to sell their wares to you. And if you look at the chief MarTech Loomiscape of all these vendors, I think at what it was at 150 in 2017, it's, you know, upwards of five or 6,000 now. So it's just, there's this, all these startups and just different types of businesses. What, what were some things you would, would, you would look for in a, say an, a vendor or someone trying to reach out to you to get an appointment? Cause I, I, think it would be hard to wade through all that to have these, you know, conversations. Was it conferences? Was it email? Like what was the, what were some best ways to get a hold of you? And once they did get a hold of you, what was their message that you really tracked with you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think one that uh, everybody who's on the tool side is struggling with today. I mean, the, the proliferation, as you described it in tools, makes it very hard to sell tools into enterprise today or even mid-market because of the noise and complexity of, of what people are looking to do. You know, I think the, the thing that always resonated with me was that was a pitch that said, I'm not going to try to shift the way you do things today. I'm going to bring you solutions that will either add to, ride on top of, or improve the, what you're working with today. Because, you know, look at CMO tenure now is below 24 months. The need to turn around production or results is ever present and increases monthly, it seems, for the CMO. So the idea that any vendor would come in and say, we're going to lift and shift and change and create, you know, sort of new ways of doing things was always a drag, frankly. And yet those vendors that were able to say, hey, we see what you're doing. We see you're using this tool. Here's a way that we've found to use that tool better. Here's a way that we use the data differently going into that tool to get the results better for you. I think that's just was always the way that I did it. It used to be events. Now events don't happen anymore. I guess they're starting to, which is good news for, for the world. But, you know, honestly, email and LinkedIn have become a mess of noise. And now even Microsoft is turning on tools to allow users to, you know, sort of thread out all of these pitches that, that people are getting. So I think it's going to come from the, the 
good old fashioned recommendation events, personal networks, and then the opportunity from the tool side for the tool vendor to say, hey, you should check these guys out because they're doing interesting things. I like that, Tom. Hey, we're going to start from scratch, rip and replace, or hey, I understand what you do. I've done my research. This is how we can do a value add because you're right. The, the CMOs and these teams, you know, they've got to do something right away. Rather, hey, we don't have two, three, five years of runway to to try to institute something. You know, that's really good, good advice. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at being an entrepreneur, talk about the difference between, you know, coming from a huge corporation like Microsoft and, you know, a very process driven place like McCann Worldwide. And now you've, you're becoming this business owner. Like what, tell me about that. And then let's talk about some of these, you know, sort of biggest surprise and challenges that you're seeing as a CEO and founder of a company. <laughs> well, I would say, you know, the, uh, it's been an unbelievable and rewarding challenge being an entrepreneur. And it's, I, I've heard others describe it this way too. You know, it's half the days you wake up saying, what am I doing? This is the worst decision I've ever made. Half the days you wake up and saying, why didn't I do this sooner? It's the best decision I've ever made. And, you know, there's some probably tally sheets you could to, to, to measure your success and the more days where you say, hey, this is the best decision. But, you know, honestly, that when you, when I launched the company, I thought, oh my gosh, there's, this is a, like a beautiful strategic problem we're attacking. I've got all this knowledge and insight and intelligence that we've built at Microsoft that we're going to be able to bring it to these companies and, and really sort out these, these strategic problems. And you really end up having a strategic conversation at first that drives down into a very tactical, very practical, very nuts and bolts like conversation around what the real problems are that lie really close to the ground that need to get solved first. And that was the big, big shift for me early days is that we just we couldn't sell when we were only wanted to talk about strategy. Maybe McKinsey can, but we couldn't. Mm-hmm. We had to solve those basic problems first. And I think that's true of anybody who's working in this space, trying to build data-driven solutions is, you know, that the decisions that are made at a very routine level in the organization really impact your ability to do anything smart. And so that's where we've shifted. That's where we love it up. And that's where we we like to live, certainly in the guise of the strategic ambitions of the organization that we have, but but it's that's a big shift. And then the other is that, you know, when you launch a company that's a small company, you're doing a lot of things. And and I never was, I was a first-time CEO. So when it comes to building a culture, building, you know, all of the infrastructure around running a business, people matters and so forth, you gotta love that. And so my advice to anybody who's on the entrepreneurial precipice is plan for the infrastructure part of the business, all those decisions, including people, maybe mostly people. Plan for that to be a big part of what you do and and plan to love that because if you don't love it, you're going to burn yourself out because it takes up a lot of your time. So what I love about your business is, and you had mentioned about, you know, versus McKinsey as a consultant, you actually do the work. You don't, yeah. you don't just give them a playbook and say, hey, this is how you might be able to do it. You actually do it, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Some people call it transformational consulting. Hey, you're here. We're going to build all this to get you where you want to go. And then we're going to leave, leave you better off for the work. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. And the, just for my family in Michigan, what Tom is saying, he's, <laughs> he's, it's not a DIY. It's, he's actually, 
he's actually doing the, he's installing the ceiling fan for you. He's not filming a video on how to do it. So Tom, you work with some pretty big companies, right? Like what you said, like some big software companies and, and others. What, what are you hearing from these business owners and, and, you know, from whatever level, you know, what, what are their biggest challenges or what, what are they worried about or what are they asking you to solve? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest conversation that we're having today is really around revenue acceleration or growth acceleration. Every company, every company today wants to know what in their pipeline is going to convert faster, is going to be the most propensed to convert, and what actions can they be taking on the marketing side, BDR side, or sales side to accelerate their revenue and accelerate the growth of their revenue. And and most companies are they're rich with data problems that prevent any of that from happening. But most companies are believing because of all this proliferation of tools and AI features inside of tools that promise all these things, they have a full set of expectations about how to get that done. So we see a lot of the opportunity in helping solve that problem. In fact, other companies do too. Solve the data governance, solve the data cleanup problem, solve the data augmentation problem so that some of these rich features can be turned on inside of these big tools. And that's one of the biggest things that we, we see is, hey, I've, I got all the data. It's all there. It's just disconnected. It's fragmented. It's incomplete. And, and I can't take advantage of these features. How can you help me? And that's a lot of what we're doing today. Yeah. And you, it, it's what you, you say reminds me of, if you see any of these, like, hey, what are the 2023 trends or 2024 trends? I think they're the same exact ones from 2015. <laughs> it was <laughs> importance of data. I, I think machine learning, AI, you know, all it's all the same, but, I, you know, we're just not getting, I guess maybe we're getting good at it, but there's just more and more that we have to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, I and, think Chat ChatGPT this year has been a giant accelerant, right? Of that of that conversation, right? And I think everybody's sort of like, oh gosh, I got to catch up, I got to learn about this, I got to figure it out. And and you're right, most of this, most times, the solutions are the same as they were, you know, a few years back, right? It, so when when you think when you say ChatGPT and innovation, what are some other, you know, it could be that. What are some cool innovations that you're seeing in the marketplace as far as up and coming technology or technology sales or marketing teams can use to, you know, what you said to accelerate growth. Yeah. You know, I think the when it comes to the use of data to accelerate growth, the, I think the overwhelming majority of smart work is in the space of organizing the data, you know, modeling the data, let's say, and, and augmenting the data to drive some of these predictive outcomes. And, there's a bunch of innovation going on on how to organize the data, how to low code, no code, drag and drop, let's call it governance can be added to how your data goes into a data lake or into a data environment. There's a lot of innovation going on on how to model that data. What are the parameters of, that you need in the data? You know, whether that's bringing in third-party data, whether it's adding regulation or restriction on data that you can use, masking PII, there's some really interesting innovation there. And then the third is, you know, how do you, how do you apply tools that allow a user self, uh, self-deployed user to do AI innovation, meaning, Hey, let me run a program for my customer to look at the next best product I should sell them. And let me do that instead of some analyst down in the IT organization. And so if you look at any one of those three areas, there's just lots and lots going on in that space. That's all AI. It's not 
generative AI like ChatGPT, mm -hmm. but it's all AI driven, but it's applied to these data sets. And that's the most interesting part to me of being in B2B, which is where we live. In, in B2C, all the data is behavioral data lives up here, scraped off the web. It's a fairly easy and well-tracked, e easy easy to model and well-tracked data set. In, first, in B2B, it's all first-party data that sits in the organization that needs to be augmented, needs to be cared for and treated with you know, a governance and respect from a compliance perspective, but it also needs to be treated with care as to what are the outcomes we're trying to generate and that's a that's a really rich space that, that we play in a lot, and I think is important. Yeah, great answer. And speaking of data, like how are how either you or what sort of best practices of applying data, say to improve customer relationships or customer experiences? What you know, what are you seeing either from at your past experiences or currently? Like how how do we take this marketing data that's you know pretty exciting and adding to someone's, the, the end user's customer experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, personalization and, and the use of AI to drive personalization based on what we know about a customer is, is an unbelievable opportunity. One we get excited about. That personalization could be what's the next best product to put in front of that customer? What's the next best campaign touch for that customer? Or it could be, hey, what's the next thing the call center should say to that person if they were to call us with a, with a service request or what have you. But it's the ability to take a data set that we know of a customer, augment it with, with multiple fields, connect those fields, and come up with a, an algorithm that suggests what these treatments should be for this customer is, a, an, I think, a very cool and emerging space. And I've seen lots of companies trying to build those, those decision sets and feed them into their sales organization or their service organization to improve what that customer experience is. It's all through personalization. That, hey, it's just like what you asked me when I was at Microsoft. If that person knows what I'm doing, knows what I'm struggling with, and has ways to help me, I'm going to listen every time. And I think that's what companies are trying to do with the data they have at their fingertips. It, and it is, it is so true about personalization. And I remember uh, my old sales day, they taught us how to overcome an objection restate the objection, then you un you say, I understand how you feel. Others have felt the same way, but what they found is, and it's really just, you know, it seems rudimentary, but it's it's true. Like you, you need to empathize with someone and try to help them to get what they want to do. And speaking of your CMO days, how did you balance between all this data coming in to make decisions versus trying to treat the customer right versus hey, we need to have the right brand image. We need to have the right sort of brand advertising to drive that in. Like, how did you balance it? Because it seems like way back in the day, the CMO was maybe just sort of this creative, you know, left brain person. I think that's right. Left brain. But now it's, you need to be left, right data science brands. So how did you wade through all of the noise to sort of drive that marketing message forward? Yeah, it's huge. It's a huge uh, topic we could go deep on around the change for the CMO and what that's meant and why it's driving all of this, you know, sort of transformation of the CMO role. But, you know, from, from my perspective, I think the biggest driver was the culture that I was in, right? When, when I, entered Microsoft, it, it's a data-driven organization. The, the amount of data that comes from almost every direction, whether it's your partners, whether it's your product team, whether it's your sales organization or your marketing organization, is it's vast. And, and the expectation that you will use that data to drive decision-making was high right from the very start. And I think most organizations don't have that much data literacy, let's call it, 
and that the expectations aren't high from the beginning and they're kind of going over the void of how do we get that going in our, in our organization. But the, clearly the CMOs that were brand and category people had to make the switch. And, the, and there are probably not that many of them that are doing just the brand narrative or just standing at the customer conference, talking to analysts and, and you know, espousing what the vision of the brand is going to be. Most CMOs have to be both sides of the equation and have to be able to use and be comfortable using data to justify almost every investment that they're making. And, and look, every organization is going through that. We end up helping CMOs. That's why I love what I do is because we say, hey, look, we, can, we know some of these things. Here, we can help you be you know, sort of more proficient, help your team be more proficient in those areas to use data to drive some of the decisions. But it's hard. It's hard stuff. Yeah. And you, you bring up a couple great points as far as being like what you do now and going to the CMO. It's like, hey, we're not, we're not telling you necessarily what to do, but trust us, you could, we can be sort of part of your marketing organization. And when I was a CMO at a small data analytics company, we would use like someone like Forrester and Gartner the same way because we needed to get people's different ideas than the seven people in an office. Like, hey, we need, we need to have some other ideas outside of there. So, Tom, I do know that you had the, the great pleasure to speak to the University of Dayton Business School and some of the students. What was, you know, some, from maybe some of our younger listeners, what, what's your message to the students? You know, it's not just, I mean, you know, someone looks at you and like, oh, I want to be a CEO too, but you just, it's a little hard to just accomplish that right away. But what's, what's, a, what, what's your couple things that you say to young people about starting their career? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the in our lifetimes, Tim, professionally, you know, the world has changed dramatically on several occasions, right? And not only were there financial shocks, there were socioeconomic shocks, and there was technology shocks, mm-hmm. all just changed everything. So the biggest advice I would say to anybody, including my own sons uh, and children, would be don't get drilled in on a definition of, of what it is you think you need to be or what it is you always wanted to be, or what it is you know that you think your parents want you to be, is is stay curious and and follow your interests for sure, but keep that learning process going because reinvention is something you're going to have to do over and over and over again. And I find in my own life, putting myself in situations where I'm less comfortable is always driving growth, and putting myself in situations where I'm super expert most comfortable is always leading to me becoming more of a dinosaur than I already am. So (laughs) my advice is go find those places where you're wildly uncomfortable, but in control and, and, and stay there. And when you get comfortable, move on to the next place where you can challenge yourself. That's great advice. And it reminds me of the podcast I did this, this last one with Kelly Leonard from the second city and why I loved it so much. It was, he was relating improvisation to business and there's the same skill set in each one of those. And it's not about acting or being funny. It's about being in stressful situations or being put into something where you say the term yes and, where it's like, and I just think simply just say yes to things. And I was interviewed for an article and the, the question was, you know, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? And one of the things was, don't worry about titles. You know, it'll come. And my second one was like, present whenever you can say yes and, and push yourself. And that's when I was taking classes at Second City that 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 really helped me to stand in front of a crowd 
and think on your feet and present. So I, I think that, that what you were saying is great advice about sort of forget the past and let's go to the future. Yeah. One of the things that you've said in the past that I, I just loved, and maybe you could talk a little bit about it, that when you're at a conference, be careful because there's something different that's being said in the audience that is being said on the stage. If you could just give our, give our listeners a little insight to what that means. Yeah. You know, I think when I go to marketing and technology conferences, every technology is building feature sets to compete with each other and to, I guess, deliver a solution to some unmet need. And oftentimes those features are unusable to the vast majority of customers who are sitting in that audience, either because they're, you know, their company's not big enough or they, you know, they couldn't deploy a tool like a CDP or because the actual data that sits inside the organization is nowhere near ready to, to enable that feature inside of that platform. So, you know, when you're sitting at a conference, somebody says, geez, we've got this new, uh, you know, way to ingest customer sentiment from your uh, listen to emails and phone conversations. And then, you know, all this kind of thing. Most CTOs or chief data officers are going, how are we going to do that? Our data problem is very real. We got three different CRMs. We got three different data lakes. We've got a bunch of problems to solve. And, and that's frankly, for Fury, it's great because that's where we come in, the very hands-on practical level to enable those things. But most times, you know, the presenter feels great and the, <laughs> the journalist feels awesome writing about it, but the, the practical user is going, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, this is my last advice I'm going to give out today. When you're presenting at a conference, don't make it about a commercial. Like I've seen some really good ones. I've seen some really bad ones, but you're right. It's like you look around and you're like, okay, are these people paying attention? And you can tell the ones that are like, oh, this is in not only just engaging, but it's it's telling me what advice, you know, things that I can do right now versus yeah. buy their product. So speaking of Fury, Tom, as we end here, how do people connect with you? Well, Number one, you can find us at Fury, F-J-U-R-I.io. That's a great way to, to find us. You can always find me, Tom Ruler, on LinkedIn, and you can reach out to me directly via email. I think you probably will share my data here. And, you know, I think you'll find us most times where people are gathered to talk about where revenue acceleration technology can help businesses like marketers and chief sales officers improve their execution. So, we, you know, we want to be where Gartner's talking about that. We want to be where Forrester's talking about that. We want to be where Chief Martech is talking about that. So we're hoping to get in now that the world's coming alive again to get into those conversations and to be at some of those places where that's happening. And so, you know, if you got an idea, if you got a challenge to an idea we have, I want to hear from you. If you want a problem, if you got a solution that you're looking for to a problem you have, I want to talk to you. Or if you want to criticize University of Dayton or anything to no, no, said no. here. No, 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 no. Stop right there. That's enough of a commercial, Tom. <laughs> Tom, I, I've enjoyed this conversation. Well, this is probably our seventh one for the podcast since it's I true. It's, it's true. It's, I will have you back because I want to find out more about Fury great. and have a little deeper dive. But I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and talking and sharing your knowledge. It was great. It was Thanks great. again. Thanks, Tip. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Marketing Report. This show is brought to you by Verisk Marketing Solutions, an organization created to help CMOs and their partners improve the reach, timing, 
relevance and compliance of every consumer engagement. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to The Marketing Report wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the show notes for more information.